2: access, entry one four five eight dot NA zero one zero four certificate number three one zero seven eight the Zider Z
1: So the country of the Netherlands you know what the netherland translates to in English. I assume
2: it's like nether regions, like my nether parts. Uh-huh. Which, the, the lower bits of me.
1: Yeah, and it's called the low countries for a reason. Because um, they're always in a bad mood. They're, well, yes, they are depressed, but also... Um, but the drugs help. The drugs, you know, typically doing marijuana does not help with depression. I'm both speaking from experience here and also, although I'm not a medical doctor, I do feel like I can say smoking pot doesn't cheer you up.
2: My experience in Amsterdam was there was a broader array of uh, options available than just marijuana,
1: if you were a a low Dutchman. Sure. I will not go so far as to say that legalized prostitution won't cheer you up. (laughs) But uh, there are other options too. But it's not like the Netherlands are some kind of... Drug-free zone, or I mean, like free drug zone. No, uh, you it's can't regulated just, very carefully. Yeah, you can't just do cocaine in the streets. Like it's, um, they're a tolerant society, but they're also a very uh, carefully prescribed society. I think of them as very straight-laced, actually. Like as far
2: as national character goes, despite all the, you know, options.
1: They're very much a, a the model of a liberal democracy, and that liberalism is is very accepting, but not exactly permissive. In the Netherlands, if you are a pot smoker, you're regarded as a drug person. That's the, fun, that's the fun of liberal democracies is that you allow
2: that stuff and you get to look down on it.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, your typical Dutch adult isn't sitting around a coffee shop smoking pot. They're busy. Um, cons- they're, they're riding their bike by a canal. Yeah, and they're collecting little porcelain figurines and arranging them in their window behind uh very thin lace curtain. Do you think we just give them a pass because they're, like,
2: tall and good-looking? Like, we just assume they're a model society because they're uh, tall and have blue eyes?
1: Well, no. They actually are uh, an extremely successful society. They are... It, it, Partly they are responsible for capitalism. They were some of the initial like- Wait,
2: wait, this is their, (laughs) this is
1: the good part of their resume? I mean, in the the sense of global trade and, you know, creating a a global financial system. But they also are uh, exporters, like they're incredibly good at making the best use of their very small land. They export like 50% of the European agricultural exports. They're a very industrious, let's say. The small size is always funny when, you know,
2: to think about the past when this little tiny kingdom, you know, controlled the throne of Spain yeah. or Indonesia, you know, uh, of all the unlikely little European countries to start an empire, you know, the Dutch really got by on plucking wooden shoes, I guess.
1: Well, in particular, given that when they, you know, when people first settled that land, it was... For the most part, swamp and like seagrass and a few sort of uh, sandbars and then uh, like lumps, some some high it was, ground.
2: It was barely land. Uh-huh. It, I was, mean, it was called the nether lumps. Yeah, it for was.
1: Several, for several centuries. Not, not even lumps, right? They had to build mounds. They built up mounds just to put their houses. The mounds were called terps. And they would, you know, they'd gather together enough dirt to keep their feet dry. And
2: to this day, the Netherlands is still very flat. The oh. re, the reclaimed parts are not. And, you know, it explains why it's such a cyclist's paradise because...
1: You, you know, never they, have to go uphill. Yeah,
2: the nearest hill is in Germany somewhere. Like the highest point in the Netherlands is right on the German border. Yeah. It's called Valserberg. It's actually a tripoint. It's where Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands meet. And it's only a thousand feet tall. Right. You know, and... The rest of the country just stretches flat away from that for hundreds of miles towards the ocean.
1: Like, half of the land area of the Netherlands is, like, less than three feet above sea level. Jeez. And And, formerly below sea level. Well, and 17% of it, yeah, is is, uh, even still, like, below sea level. Three feet.
2: I feel like very conservative global warming scenarios would put you in trouble if you were if your terp was only three feet above the North Sea.
1: Well, and this is the thing. Like we we are living in the recent aftermath of an enormous flood that took out great portions of our city of New Orleans. Because the flood control that the Army Corps of Engineers built around New Orleans was built for a hundred year flood. Right. That was their that was the nomenclature, the idea that we would protect against this very rare flood. But the Dutch flood control system has been built with the idea of being able to withstand a 10,000-year flood. <laughs> so, I, like the, I like the biblical ambition there. They did not leave a lot to chance here. Because they as you say, their country is at risk of being completely inundated, not just by a massive uh, once-in-a-thousand-lifetimes in a flood, but in, in fact, just like high seas, a big storm if it weren't managed so effectively by the civic agencies that are, that are charged with this uh, responsibility, like any big wave could, could swamp whole towns. That's probably their version of a
2: defense department, right? Like they're not worried about the commies or the terrorists or whatever. Like their enemy is a big wave. Like that's, that, that's what could demolish their country overnight.
1: Yeah, their 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 enemy has, has always been not just the ocean, but it's, uh, I mean, the, the reason that the Netherlands are like this is it was also the outlet for a lot of European rivers into the ocean. So it's kind of a giant, initially at least, was a giant river delta.
2: Sure, like Rotterdam a thousand years ago was just a river delta. You know, most of what's now Rotterdam
1: was not dry land at all. And that's true of of a lot of the Netherlands, and that is what, makes it so uh, agriculturally productive is that it's this river delta. So it's uh, extremely fertile soil.
2: They're stealing the most fertile bits of soil from
1: From Germany Germany and and Bulgaria. Yeah. And- uh, There's no actual river that uh, starts in Bulgaria that drains in the Netherlands, but- but Not yet, John, not yet. You can't actually go by boat because they've connected the Rhine to the Danube Danube, through the Rhine-Danube Canal.
2: That's how I'm imagining topsoil getting to Bulgaria. It's also, it, it's also my plan for world domination.
1: Topsoil doesn't flow up the Danube,
2: typically. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> now, that, now that I think about that, that's
1: probably true. Yeah. Uh, there is a dividing line. But it, it, it was this fear of being flooded and the not just the fear of being flooded, but constant flooding that caused the uh, Nederlanders to begin to think about how they would both protect against floods And start to reclaim some of the land because every time the tide went out, they were able to rush down onto the tidal flats and gather the fish that didn't make it out with the tide. I mean, they had a relationship to this land that was only covered by a few meters of water. And when the tide would go out, there was all this sort of extra turf that they could envision being Useful. It's like some neighbor who's always talking about building a patio. Yeah, I could have a patio over here, man. It could
2: go all the way out to where the fish
1: are and... Yeah, right. If I just built like one sort of mud uh, fence line out there, I would not have to have my hut on stilts anymore.
2: It's amazing how much of their whole national character of, you know, just industry and ambition must have come from just being sick of having wet feet.
1: I think it's actually true. In fact, the iconic symbol of the Netherlands, the windmill, is I mean, we've, we are distant enough in our time from when windmills were a practical part of having a farm, but they're pumps. Windmills are designed to pump water.
2: Yeah, I guess I always think of windmills as, you know, they're probably flour mills of some kind. But that is not true in the Netherlands. They are powering the existence of the Netherlands. Right,
1: right? and also true in Amer- on American farms. If you see a windmill, it's not just like a decorative element. It's there to pump water out of your well, typically uh because american farms used irrigation and if you dug your well deep enough you could pump irrigation with your with your windmill right but the thing about dutch windmills is that they were built to both control the the rivers which were inundating the country and to pump out like this is the crazy thing about the whole country is that water's coming in from both sides salt water and fresh water And it's not simple to pump it out anywhere. You have to wait for low tide. Uh, When the tide goes out, suddenly the level of the sea is low enough that you can open the dams and let Uh, the fresh water. Now you've got someplace to put the rivers. That's right. The water goes out at low tide. And then when the tide comes in, you have to dam those rivers because traditionally the seawater would come up the river. It's this and back and be, forth relationship.
2: That can't be good for crops or whatever. You don't want brackish or salty water flooding your fields no. every, every time. If
1: your fields are above that level there, um, and this is a big part of the reason that the economy of the Netherlands was rooted in cows and pastures and milk and cheese because. Because ah, that kind of stuff can withstand. Can withstand. I mean, a cow can stand around in uh, ankle deep in water where wheat cannot.
2: They could have had a rice patties. The Dutch could have invented sushi. Interesting.
1: They didn't, apparently. They didn't. Well, you know, they invented <laughs> dikes and windmills. Well,
2: they also invented their their country. I mean, you know the old saying, God created the earth, but the Dutch created the Netherlands. I think that's really part of their national character, is that, you know, we built this. I don't know. One stereotype I know about the Dutch is that they're famously cheap, right? They're a thrifty people. They're thrifty, yeah. I do like insulting different ethnicities <laughs> on these recordings. Yeah. In, case, in case the people of the future are all Dutch...
1: <laughs> we really do laugh at how you never pick up the check, guys. It's pretty likely that uh, if any civilization is going to survive, it'll be the the Dutch as the as the seas rise. Sure, who's
2: good at holding that back? That's right. Who's got all the windmills already ready to go?
1: The only country left will be the Netherlands, <laughs> of forty feet below sea level.
2: <laughs> but that is our uh, that's the source of our expression of going Dutch. I think when you go out with somebody, isn't oh. it? Uh, You know, because you don't want to pick up the whole tab. (laughs) Ha ha, like the Dutch. (laughs) Oh. They're cheap. But, you know, they're they're very aware of resources. They You know, they know how fragile it all is because they pulled it out of the
1: North Sea one field, one polder at a time. Well, and and devised this, like, pretty amazing system where they realized that they had to dam their rivers. If you think about Amsterdam or Rotterdam, I mean, the other great thing about uh, the Dutch is that they name things very literally. So does dam mean dam, dam? actually? Yep. Oh. Um, dam also means center square, but Dutch cities are not designed around canals for, for beauty and- quaintness. Uh, for quaintness and for places to throw bicycles. Uh, those canals are draining the water out of the cities, giving, giving the cities a low point. But it's all contingent on being able to empty that water out when the tide goes out. And you can open the dams and let let it drain. Uh, and in times of big storms, of course, when there's a lot of water to let out, they're still at risk of tremendous flooding.
2: I guess I don't know stories about Amsterdam flooding the same way Venice or New Orleans does. So they must be good
1: at it? They do a much better job. And in fact, uh, as Venice starts to sink... Uh, They are calling upon Dutch engineers to devise – I mean, Venice is basically a set of islands that, again, are only barely above the sea. But it's not – they're not enclosed by a sandbar in the same way that the Netherlands are, such that it's it's a simple matter to just enclose the city. And so that's what they need to do, and it's not going to be a simple matter. They're going to have to build like a – world historical earthwork
2: just some insane earthworks just to keep the aqua alta from submerging venice right well i guess that's a good test case for the rest of the world you know like you want to save the the gondolas and the rialto bridge and everything and uh you know if we figure out how to do that then next up manhattan i guess
3: and get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com/ iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com iheart or use the promo
1: code iheart at checkout the the crazy thing about this is that as you manage the water you also risk land subsidence, because as you drain water out of the land, it sinks.
2: Sure. We discussed this elsewhere in the omnibus when we were talking about water table depletion in the American West.
1: That's right. And this is even a worse scenario in in that as they have set about reclaiming land, they reclaim a bunch of land and then the land sinks and puts itself then even further below sea level. So... The process of building dikes has gone on for centuries. Yeah, I mean, some uh, of this started,
2: uh, or, you know, before the 1200 or so, right? I mean, when, when did the Dutch
1: start this? A long time before. Um, uh, Pliny even toured this area back really? during the Roman uh, Empire. Pliny and, was going to the hash bars? Yeah, well, he was headed up to Germany and he showed up here and sort of spoke about the these wild people that lived on these crazy sandbars uh, and on their sitting up on top of their turps. I mean, at at that point they were capturing fish on the, on the sandbar and thinking like, well, what would happen if we built a little mound, an extra mound here? And initially the dikes were constructed in a very cool way. There's a lot of clay in the land of the, of the Netherlands. Okay. And they would mound up clay and then cover the sea facing side with seaweed Big, huge mats of seaweed. What does the seaweed do? Well, the seaweed would gradually decay into a kind of stable front that could, you know, could absorb the wave action because it was so organic and so thick. I mean, seaweed obviously is quite used to being there in the ocean. And so the dike was protected by this giant front mat of seaweed that later on when engineering got to be a... a, more popular, let's call it. Uh, uh, man, I remember that. I remember sitting around talking on engineering. When they, when they started the, to call it engineering. It was on the cover of Rolling Stone. And they started to try and build dikes with with pilings. They, it, it was found that those were undermined by wave action and were less effective. Now so they, they was, went
2: back to the seaweed and clay?
1: Well, eventually, like contemporary dikes are built out of a base of sand covered with clay and then covered with giant rocks and boulders and concrete abutments but what made that difficult is that there is no rock in the netherlands yeah where's it gonna come from so it's very expensive and was historically very expensive for them to like ship rock in from places that actually had land rather than just sand
2: it is funny when you're the thing your country doesn't have is rock yeah you know uh you know there's no
1: ground
2: i can't dig in my yard for you know eight inches without hitting some clot of rock.
1: No, you wouldn't find rocks. You would dig, you'd dig a couple of feet down and then you'd find the ocean or you'd find the groundwater. That's why there's so many tulips there. You know, it's, it's easy to plant stuff. That's right. Well, and that's why we think of them. I mean, we think of them as a land of plenty. Uh, The country of the Netherlands is a very recent country. It only has existed as its own political idea since the end of the Napoleonic era. So, after Napoleon was finally defeated and Europe tried to throw some order back in after Napoleon had finally wrecked everything, uh, only in 1815 was there, did the Netherlands become its own sort of initially constitutional monarchy, not constitutional at first, but it had been a part of the kingdom of Spain. It had been Habsburgian. It had been part of France. It had been a lot of different things. Uh, but finally had its independence in 1815, and only in 1830 did the Belgians, who had a very different feeling about themselves, did they separate off and become Belgium. The Belgians are ex-Dutch.
2: Yep. And are they angry about it? Is this but, like Pakistan and India?
1: See, I don't want to. I'm not somebody that sits and disparages the the Dutch for being frugal, but the Belgians are very angry. They're angry at one another because Belgium is half. Right. Flemish and half French. And they do not see eye to eye on anything.
2: You'd think everyone would see eye to eye. It's the flattest country in the world.
1: Right. You would, I mean, I think they- You mean uh, figuratively. No, if you get a chance and can stand on a box in Belgium to yell at your countrymen- You'll do it. The great thing about the Low Countries is if you stand on a box, you can see everything. Sure. You can see,
2: the, you can see all of the Netherlands if you find an apple crate. In fact,
1: that's traditionally how you become prime minister of Belgium. <laughs> the first person to find a tall box is, becomes <laughs> prime minister. So the greatest of all of these projects only happened in the 20th century. Really? Traditionally, the whole interior of the Netherlands, was a giant saltwater sea. Not especially deep, only five meters deep for the majority of it. And a, and a, it was a tidal basin. The sea would come in and out. I mean, it was always a sea, but it had this tidal action. It would be deeper and shallower. Uh, but this land was tantalizing, or rather the, the land covered by the ocean was this sort of tantalizing problem for the Dutch to solve because they'd been gradually, incrementally carving little corners of this land out for themselves. But here was this enormous ocean that in high tides, when there were big storms in the North Sea, it would send all this water pouring in and it was a constant threat. Um, There were giant floods that happened somewhat regularly that there just wasn't an ability to guard against because there was so much beach, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, and so right after World War I, all of the uh, best laid plans were kind of coalesced or they were focused by an enormous flood that happened right after the war. It was in 1918, I think, where the the final straw was this big flood. My favorite thing, by the way, about this tendency of these low-lying
2: lakes in the Netherlands to to flood, you know, the, the marsh... Uh... The low-lying peat marshes flood, and the shores erode, and whatnot. Is that the Dutch word for it? Is water wolf?
1: Mm-hmm. The, the water wolf. The
2: idea that there's this constant wolf pacing outside the door of your country.
1: Uh oh, here comes the water wolf. <laughs> it's going to eat our lake. That's how <laughs> they.
2: That's how they see the North Sea, I guess.
1: So there was this in this this enormous sea was called the the Zweedersie. and I'm going to be using some Dutch words now, and I recognize that I don't have the proper. Germanic pronunciation. And this is a thing that our Dutch listeners are going to be upset about because it's just in their nature. They're going to scoff and they're going to say, why didn't you? Because they've spoken perfect English yeah. since they were two or three. They speak better English than we do. And uh, it seems to them like their accent is quite easy to duplicate. Uh, but the Zviderzie, uh is the name of this body of water. And uh, Queen Wilhelmina... Uh, sort of spearheaded this project. Like, let's finally do away with this giant saltwater basin, dam it at its mouth. And through the action of the rivers pouring into this area, it will gradually turn from saltwater to fresh water and become an enormous lake. This was not a small undertaking because it involved building a dike across the ocean for. About twenty miles. Wow! Of straight, straight dike, and it is straight. It's a, it is a straight line. And so they set about. They commenced with their twentieth-century technology, building this thing. And as they built it, of course, the more they narrowed the mouth of it, uh, the greater energy was focused on the opening—the tidal energy and the draining energy. So they were combating the power of the water to undermine what they were building as they built it. But eventually as late as 1924, they finally completed this final dike and, uh, they had to close the gap at low tide at the lowest tide. Right. Um, and so at that particular low tide, 10,000 workers all arrived on this scene because it was like, we need to get this done. You got six
2: hours before it's back up. <laughs> That's right? right.
1: And so it was this huge moment, this big, like I guess I can only imagine it was a big party. It's like the biggest barn raising in history. That's what it was. And they all, you know, they got there and they closed this up so that when the, when the sea again returned at high tide, it was now blocked. They blocked the water wolf. And it didn't take long to turn to fresh water because one of the big rivers that flows into this basin is the Rhine River and the Meuse both um both deposit like their are enormous flow um so it gradually filled up and became this and
2: the Rhine and the Meuse extensive lake the Rhine and the Meuse still flow out of this lake into the north sea i
1: assume it's just a a basin on on its way to the sea well so the Rhine does a lot of crazy things and um the Rhine flows out through Rotterdam and various other places. Cause really this was a river right. Delta. It's already divided six times, but they took a, what was formerly a pretty small and insignificant little stream called the ISIL and they channeled it. They, uh, they canaled it and turned it into a big channel of the Rhine took quite a bit of its water. I love the ISIL because it starts with an I and a J, Right. A capital I and capital J, because they're thought of as
2: one letter. So if you look stuff up in a Dutch dictionary, IJ is its own letter. IJ is it a letter. It has its own entry.
1: It's like, the, it's like the combined A and E of Greek.
2: Well, in, in Spanish, I know that CH are often considered one letter and LL L are often considered one level. And sometimes even alphabetized as such, like it would go A, B, C, CH d mm-hmm. but they never capitalized both of them like even the spaniards are like that's crazy talk
1: well it's muy loco in german two s's next to each other form its own letter which is that crazy that b. b thing yeah right? which is a cap capitalized or i guess it's it's a giant letter
2: and where does that go where does that S set go in their alphabet if you're saying the german alphabet does it come between s and
1: t or is it at the end wow i don't know the alphabet song in german <laughs> Let's invade <laughs> Poland. Uh, I don't know where the B goes. I, it may the B the B may be informal. Yeah, I guess they, they
2: don't consider it its own. And they don't write it anymore, right? Is that kind of an old timey thing to do? Will no. signs just have the SS? No, or? they
1: still use it. I mean, I you see it all the time. Um, well, especially when you're gonna unsloosh something.
2: Yeah, you'd think they'd be resistant to putting two S's together nowadays. Oof.
1: Oof. Too soon. Uh, but so I-J is pronounced, you know, I-S-L, and I'm sure there's some small pronunciation of it that I'm not quite getting. We'll, we'll get letters. Um, so what had formerly been the Zwiedersie became the I-S-L-M-E-R, because the ISIL is the river that filled it up. And again, the Dutch are very literal about how they name things. So it became now this new body of water which was freshwater and also very manageable because the dike at the end of it, which, uh, which is called the off dike. Okay. They're very, it's a very musical language. (laughs) The Offsweet dike. When, when, when you speak it, yes, it really comes alive. Uh, it's a dam, but it also has a, a lock or a, a, um, you know, an opening in it. For like, is it navigable? Like, can you take your boat up the... Uh, it is navigable. There are locks at both ends, shipping locks. Um, there are also like numerous drainage points because the lake fills up. And at, again, at low tide, they'll open up these sluices and maintain the level of the, of the mere and send the fresh water out to the sea. Well, you're talking about the
2: literality of Dutch geographic naming mm-hmm. you know the westernmost province of the netherlands is still called zeeland you know i think everyone knows where new zealand is but old zeeland is in the western part of the netherlands and it literally means sea land because before the dikes like quite a bit of zeeland was was underwater yep the flag of zeeland is like a lion coming out of the waves and it says i struggle and emerge I guess the waves are the wolf, but the land is the lion sometimes. Yes, very, the land
1: is the lion. It's
2: all alliterative, at least in English.
1: But so another feature of this waterworks, this enormous waterworks, is that they have built uh, they built several aqueducts where cars actually go under the level of the sea. And the aqueduct oh. is, is, the water actually sort of is on the bridge.
2: It's like an underpass, yeah. but the river is going above you or whatever.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. It's a very cool feature. I guess
2: if you're doing stuff like that, you really do have to maintain the level of everything very precisely because otherwise you just have the river dumping onto the highway. You know, it's
1: yeah, it's like a ministry, it's like the Ministry of Defense, as you were saying. For the most part, the entire coast of the Netherlands is bolstered by dikes, with the exception of one small area, one sort of river opening, which was too difficult. To, there was just too much water for it to be permanently dammed, and uh, so what they did was they built a storm wall, which only goes up during enormous storms. So when the sea is battering the nation, they uh, they have the ability to put up this sort of massive battlement that keeps the sea out. Wow! And that's called like the Ooster Schelde Caring or some. It's, and literally, like, oost is east. It's the east Shelter carrying.
2: I just want to imagine some guy pressing the, you know, their equivalent of the nuclear button is lift uh, the wall. It's uh, some uh. giant metal mortar gate thing.
0: Close it off. Close it off. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's musicians. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start.
1: So, the great thing about the Isolmere is that as they were now able to control the water, they could start to really seriously reclaim the land that was within what had formerly been this sea. So not all of it is still lake. They also created a lot of new lakeshore. They started building big dikes and they were not creating lakeshore. They were creating whole provinces. (laughs) Uh, They, and again, they're naming these provinces kind of after, after the sea that used to occupy that area. But when they, when the Dutch would reclaim land, they would call it polder. Polder is the name for this sort of former, formerly inundated, like land. a new square of field that you have, uh, you
2: know, walled off and then drained. Right.
1: So they walled off and drained the Vieringermir and turned it into very successful farmland. And then they said that worked great. Let's let's do more. And they did the uh, the Nordust polder, and then a uh, Flaveland. Flavoland. Which was very, it had a lot of flavor. That's where Public Enemy uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. is from. Uh, Flavo Flave is one of the <laughs> big uh, fixtures on the Dutch hip hop scene.
2: Isn't it crazy that, you know, you know, around this time, the U.S. was adding land by annexing Alaska and Hawaii. We were changing our national map, you know, and so you get the little inset in the corner of your map. Boom, and there's Alaska and Hawaii. But they just, they changed their national map by just changing the outline of their whole country. Like, bang, here's Flavoland, this like artificial island at the shore on
1: the shore of this lake. As, Which we're going to build towns on and sure. it's like farms, and here we are.
2: And suddenly you got to redraw all your postage stamps and all the little plaques at the city hall. Your country literally has a different outline now. Like it, it's like it's it's got a new bulge. It's pregnant with Flevoland.
1: And what's crazy is in the United States, like there aren't very many rivers that haven't been in the continental United States that haven't been, as they get bigger, somewhat controlled by the Corps of Engineers, but. In Alaska, where I grew up, there are still wild rivers and a lot of big wild rivers. Mm-hmm. And if you have riverfront property, you are constantly faced with the prospect of either half of your land being washed away. If the river changes course and decides that it wants to go through your front yard, you just lost your land or, I mean, <laughs> it, potentially your house. You have no recourse If the river decides to recourse. But if the river decides to go the opposite direction, all of a sudden you've got, I mean, if you're, if the border of your yard is the riverfront, you just, you know, gained potentially quite a bit of land. Woohoo! So there's always a winner basically. But like people on the Florida coast, we see all the time that the sea comes in and washes away their their entire property. There's nothing left. Um, Here, it's a sort of a different situation. All of a sudden there's all this free land. And yeah,
2: how did they give it? Was it like the Oklahoma land rush? Well, how did, what did they do?
1: It, they're, because they're the Dutch, they have a real system. <laughs> uh, and
2: uh, I, I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be covered wagons racing out onto, onto <laughs> on the final
1: day. They drain the water. And it's like, and it's an Easter egg hunt. Go. <laughs> uh, Flavoland was so successful that they expanded it, almost doubled it in size, built another dike and connected South Flavoland to North Flavoland. South Flavorland
2: has more flavor.
1: It's got, it's got Southern flavor, which is, uh, <laughs> which is like uh, Emeril's special seasoning. Bam, here's a new state. But South Flavorland is super close to Amsterdam and so has become the fastest growing part of the Netherlands. It's got to be expensive real estate. People are building houses. Imagine if you could create a new
2: suburb in Westchester County or something.
1: Right. Well, and this actually happened in Manhattan. The, the whole area around, Uh, the former World Trade Center, present uh, Freedom Tower, that whole area is reclaimed from the river. It was sort of swampy, brackish riverfront, and little by little they dumped fill in there and built uh, what is basically that whole western side of the financial district.
2: Well, do you remember the case with Ellis Island in the 90s where it turns out that most of what we know as today as Ellis Island was actually just created in the early 20th century. Really? Yeah. Ellis Island used to be very small and uh, they kept adding onto it for, you know, for the facility there. And so they were dumping all this New York soil onto the waterway that had agreed to be New Jersey water. And so New Jersey is like, Hey, you're building an Island in New Jersey. That's part of New Jersey. And New York is like, no, we're building it with New York dirt and we're expanding a New York Island. So it's part of New York. And it finally came to the Supreme court in, uh, 1998. Wow. Which ruled that most of Ellis Island is in fact part of New Jersey because when New York expanded it, they expanded it across
1: the state line. Is that right? And so, uh, New Jersey administers that part? Yeah, I think, uh,
2: yeah, there is still part of New York, like two or three acres of New York in the middle of 25 acres of New Jersey. It's actually a little exclave. It's a it's an island of New York surrounded by New Jersey. Is there a border wall? <laughs> there's, there's no border wall. People may pass freely. Wow. Most, well, mo- maybe
1: not for long.
2: Mostly tourists getting off the Staten, uh, Statue of Liberty ferry. Yeah, it's true. Chris Christie has never tried to use traffic to block the border between Ellis Island interior and Ellis Island exterior.
1: It seems like such a New York, New Jersey problem. This is 1998 and they're still right. litigating this. This
2: is the Rehnquist court that has to be like, would you guys just cut it out?
1: But it feels like something between Turkey and Greece, right? Where it's like, we're going to divide this island in half and you guys over there can have cheesesteak sandwiches and we can't.
2: It is funny that New York still gets their their control of the original island, but that's just like a little tiny three-acre dot in the middle of this massive New Jersey. Wow, that's insane. Well, And you can't pump your gas in the New Jersey part, of course. No, of course not.
1: But there, <laughs> there, but there are great, great highway side uh, rest areas. What One of the big things when the World Trade Center collapsed, one of the enormous worries, of course, was that that was all built on fill and that the oh, seawall would fail happened? and that whole area would, I mean, all the subways risked being flooded. If you remember the the foundations of the World Trade Center were, were built kind of down below sea level and those walls held miraculously. But if not, it could have flooded much of the Downtown subway. It would have washed. It would have washed that whole corner of Manhattan away. It's crazy. And in recent storm years, right, Hurricane Sandy did, in fact, fill. Um, it. You know, the the water came in and filled the Battery Tunnel, not flooding it from underneath, but actually pouring in from on top.
2: These were storms that we used to consider one in a hundred years, yeah. and now we're finding that we're getting one in a hundred years storms every year or two. So I don't know if we need to change the name or
1: i don 't want to get into the topic of climate change here because of course, our podcast is uh, meant for people living in the future who are living in the in whatever climate it is that results from human occupation of the earth sorry uh, yeah whatever whatever like a constant acid rain falls on your on your future habitat, uh, we can only apologize
2: well, we can see what kind of ambition an industry came to the Dutch by virtue of them getting tired of having their wooden shoes wet. So maybe that's the best thing we could have done for the future is to continually flood them and thus to spur greater uh, achievement and
1: innovation. Well, uh, interestingly, as the 20th century progressed and the Dutch had reclaimed all this land, this fertile and now expensive and prized land, there were a lot of plans to continue to reclaim the land of the Isolmere.
2: Sure. Like, why aren't they just continuing to expand the Netherlands all the way to the Dover...
1: Cliffs Well, so they built a they built a giant dike that separated the markermere from the IJsselmeer about halfway through with the intention of draining the water out of the markermere and creating a new province, which would be an, a, a giant province again, very close to the population centers of the Netherlands, which I don't know if I said already, but the Netherlands is the third densest population. On the planet.
2: Yes. More than a thousand people per square mile. So land means more to them than it does to, you know, some guy living in Idaho.
1: Yeah. You don't get, you don't get your 40 acres and a mule in the Netherlands. You get 400, uh, 400 meters in each direction. And a bicycle that gets stolen every weekend. Right. And your cows have to all live very close together, shoulder to shoulder. Uh, but as they proceeded in this plan to reclaim the marker mirror, maybe somewhat predictably, the Dutch, in their contemporary liberal consciousness uh their wokeness, started to realize that this was an environmental issue, and that the markermere, in its fresh waterness had become a both a popular recreation site but also a uh, a, a sort habitat of a right? habitat that's right for for bird life and and lake life and so there be, there started to be resistance. Uh, internal resistance to reclaiming the marker mirror. Too woke for dykes. That's right. Uh, And who knows whether futurelings will look back and say, thank goodness those environmentalists kept some little shard of health in our world. We still have the grebe now. Or they may look back and say it is precisely the liberal hubris that unwittingly created some unforeseen uh, disaster that uh, will seem obvious to them.
2: In two thousand eight, I remember uh, there was this Dutch government commission that was assigned to study ongoing land reclamation and they looked at these um massive islands that have been built in Dubai. Have you seen these that mm, look like mm-hmm. palm palm fronds? Right. From above. It's just a shape that gives you a lot of seafront and you know, in Dubai it's expensive condos and whatnot.
1: Everybody can have their own little oceanfront. Superman. Chip.
2: Exactly because there's you know you just created a 1000 new peninsulas or something.
1: I think Michael Jackson actually was one of the first people to buy a big plot of land on on one of those palm trees.
2: There was one of them where they were uh, it's still there. They built it to look like um the map of the world. Have you seen this one? Oh yeah. It's like a miniature world map in the middle of the Persian Gulf and the idea is they would sell countries to people like you just bought Bolivia. Oh, like you can, your, your land is Australia now. That's smart. And they were announcing that David Beckham and Posh had bought a, had bought one, but it turned out it was a huge boondoggle. Yeah. They and... bought
1: Luxembourg or, or <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a lottery. You didn't get assigned a country or random.
1: Liechtenstein. Swaziland. No. <laughs>
2: Um, I think it just turned out people were not interested in this, and sure enough, it's kind of falling apart. Yeah,
1: it's a it's a, it was a clever idea. If I were super rich, if I were like a billionaire and buying land in Dubai, which is not how I would spend my money, uh, but if that were the case, because yeah. I'm sure it's a tax haven, what would your island be shaped like? John? I would want it shaped like Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> you would want like the word rock or something. No? The word rock? In some heavy metal font. No, rock people don't like use the word rock that way. <laughs> it's not something you'd stencil on the back of your jean jacket. Rock, generic rock. I love rock music. Okay, you would want the ACDC
2: logo in the uh, Persian Gulf. ACDC might want that,
1: but no, I'm not, I'm not, if I'm going to build an island, it's not going to be for somebody else's band. Except for Ren and Stimpy, apparently. Well, Ren and Stimpy, that's like an American, I mean, that's like deep culture.
2: So, the netherlands, seeing the, uh, the growth of these palm islands, actually recommended building tulip-shaped islands, uh, you know, out in the North Sea as part of a new, you know, way to block and guard against rising seas and climate change.
1: What's crazy is they are they are encroaching in a lot of ways on the North Sea or the Vaden Sea, as they say. Um, if you fly into the Netherlands across the, the English Channel, you'll see windmills, power-producing windmills, way, way out into the ocean. Are they stealing wind that should have been somebody else's? Well I don't, it's not like New Jersey's wind. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they realized, like, it, it solves the problem of uh, these power windmills being unsightly or, or creating uh, sympathetic vibrations or wind noise. You know, this is one of yeah. the problems. And noise annoys neighbors. Yeah, it, it, uh, it creates digestion problems in your cats and dogs. But if you put them out into the ocean, and, and that the English Channel is so foggy most of the time that it doesn't even disturb your view.
2: There's been a lot of suggestion that instead of tulip islands, uh cannabis leaves are probably the more Dutch symbol oh now. Oh my god. You would have uh you'd have weed you could see from space.
1: Well, so anyway, the marker mirror now is not planned to be reclaimed. In fact, they're building some artificial islands within the marker mirror as habitats, which are which is now land that they're reclaiming not to utilize. So even when the
2: Dutch are not doing land reclamation, they just can't help but doing
1: yeah, land reclamation. Yeah, yeah. Now let us build a few little islands. The ducks will be so happy. And what's crazy is the Markermere now is a separate body of water from the Iselmere because that they did build the dike. So they have different, if you look at them from space, they're different colors because the Markermere has, the water is a different constitution than the Iselmere, And they're weird looking lakes. First of all, they're right next to each other. Uh, just separated by a road, and also they have these strange squares. I was about to say,
2: are they like are they like
1: Minecraft lakes? Yeah, are they like square and polygons? Yeah, square little, uh, or yeah, exactly like uh, po- polygonal shaped bodies of water.
2: So I guess it's possible that our listeners will remember the Netherlands as the first eight bit graphic country. And that concludes the Zyder Z. Entry 1458.NA0104, certificate number 31078, in the Omnibus. Now, in the unlikely event that social media is still above water in your era, our tweets were archived, at least for many years, at project. John and I had individual handles as well, at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. John also used that handle on Instagram. In the event that anyone ever emailed us, Uh, they would use the address omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com
1: Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past uh, we have no idea how long our civilization remained above water. Most of us live on the coasts and uh, unless we are burned out by pernicious forest fires we will surely be drowned. Uh, But we hope and pray that that catastrophe does not come soon. Uh, If the worst does come. This recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if the providential grebes allow, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the
0: Omnibus.